Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. We are almost done with the New Testament overview, and today we're going to do our best to summarize three letters at the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, before we get to John's final big letter, if you will, of Revelation. Well, Lord willing, talk about that next week. But these are uh, shorter letters, especially 2nd and 3rd John are the shortest letters in the New Testament, um, aside from Trivia fact yeah, here. Your, your Acts 15. The, let, the letter to Antioch in Acts 15. That is yeah. technically the shortest, but short letters and written to us from John. You know, we've been talking about Peter for a little bit, and it's cool to think about all that Peter went through as an apostle, and now he's writing to Christians. Uh, John, also very interesting to think about his journey and transformation because John, of course, was a fisherman like Peter from the get go. But Jesus gave Peter the nickname The Rock, Mm -hmm. uh, Petros, uh, but he gave James and John the nickname Sons of Thunder. Yeah, Bonerges is what that was. Yeah, and so it's interesting, I think, to see the transformation in John Mm -hmm. to go from being kind of this spitfire guy, which there's a few times in the Gospels where I think it's actually specifically John when there's someone else casting out demons. John's like... We tried to stop him because he's not following us. And to go from that to someone who writes more about love than almost any other New Testament writer. Yeah, in Luke 9, John and James were wanting to call down fire on the Samaritan villages for Mm -hmm. not accepting Jesus. But you see a transformation out of John, not only in his epistles, but he was also one of the ones that was sent down to Samaria in Acts the 8th chapter to lay hands on them. At one point, he was calling for fire to fall down on this city, and now he's calling for the Holy Spirit to fall down on him. So you see quite the transformation from John, the apostle. And uh, it's, again, one of those things where God is able to use man for his purposes and and the Spirit pinning the things that need to be written, while also it seems that God allows man to still have their personality types and have their, their way of communicating that's unique to them. And that's one thing that we really love about John's epistles is it is so different from the ways that Paul writes, for instance. And I realize those are kind of your two options, you know, Peter, James, or excuse me, Peter, John, and um, Paul with your multiple epistles. But John actually wrote kind of in a circular way compared to the way that Paul wrote, which was more linear. Now, Stephen was the first one that ever pointed that out to me. And there's a lot of organization in the way that Paul writes. You especially see it in 1 Corinthians where he's got an agenda where he's going through, you know, line by line, reporting and teaching them about things that are directly related to their circumstances. And then he goes through and he's like, now concerning the things that you all wrote. And he goes down a list and you see his flow of thought. John is able to make the same, or excuse me, He's able to make different points with the same points. (laughs) Maybe that's how I want to say that. And so he will reintroduce ideas over and over again in the book to address the different needs of the people he's writing to. And so he's more circular in that way. So it's it's just really cool to see the Spirit still using the unique abilities and personalities of the writers. Yes. 
And that's one thing is you're trying to, you know, outline First John for this podcast. It's like, well, you can't just say this is the part where he talks about loving one another. There's like lots of parts where he talks about loving one another. Here's the warning against false teaching. There's multiple warnings against false teaching, and they're all kind of meshed in with each other. And so there is some structure, which we'll talk about as we go through. There's kind of paragraphs that go together. But it's a little bit like James, where uh, James, and again, this is not John's brother, James, but uh, his is like the Proverbs. Like, here's some different things you need to know. Boom, boom, boom. Like, not always seeming connected. But uh, John, I just think it's really interesting. To, like you said, that circular writing style is a feature of this. Um, John's audience is different in the three different letters we have from him. His audience in First John seems to just be Christians in general. He'll talk about Christians and maybe Christians of different ages in chapter 2 where he says little children, fathers, and young men. Um, and uh, But a lot of the letter maybe was addressed to newer Christians. Uh, a lot of it seems to be written that you may believe is kind of the purpose of First John so that you know um, that you're in Christ. Um, Second John is written a little bit cryptically uh, to the elect lady and her children. And John refers to himself as the elder. And so putting that together with some of John's imagery, which these letters of John incorporate imagery from the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, which is kind of interesting. Um, and so this is probably a local church, the elect lady and her children. Um, you know, representatively. Uh, so this may be a local church that he's writing to. Um, and then Third John is written to a person, <laughs> to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And he talks about coming to see Gaius and another problem person in the church there, Diotrephes. Um, so it is interesting that the letters of John get more specific in their audience. There's like a general letter in First John, a letter perhaps to a church in Second John, and then a letter to an individual with Third John. So they'll be a little bit different in their tone because of that um, and how he addresses his audience. But uh, John, um, it's really cool to see how uh, he weaves themes in, again, kind of in the circular writing style. And of course, love is one of the great themes that we'll see throughout. But also the theme of light and darkness which is all over the Gospel of John, is also in these letters. Uh, the theme of belief and unbelief uh, comes up a good bit. Uh, the theme of knowing God or knowing that we are of God um, is a good bit in there. And that seems to tie into his main uh, false teaching warning is against what some people would call Gnosticism, or may also be like kind of pre-Gnosticism. Apparently it was really a big deal in the second century. But Gnosticism comes from the word for knowledge, which you can hear that in the word knowledge, Gnostic. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go through, because understanding a little bit of Gnostic teaching helps you actually understand like a little bit why John was writing the way that he wrote. Um, in Gnosticism, the basic idea is that there were two deities, a good one and a bad one, and the good one created all of the physical world, and the bad one created all of the spiritual world. And humans are body and spirit, and so my, my body is bad, 
and is going to do bad things because it was created by the bad God. And my spirit is good inside of me and wants to do good things because it was created by the good God. And what this basically became was an excuse to sin. Mm -hmm. And you could believe this and say, oh, well, like with my mind and my spirit, like I love God and I'm doing good things, but I'm actually walking in darkness with my body and sinning, living in sin, not repenting. And John just comes right out swinging against that idea in 1 John 1. You can't walk in the darkness and say you know God. you got to walk in the light as he's in the light. you got to repent of your sin, confess your sin, and God will cleanse you of it. But it's interesting to talk about that. And the, the other big heresy, the big false teaching, was that the Gnostics did not believe that Jesus came in a human body, uh, in the flesh, because that would make him evil, right? Because all flesh is evil, according to them. And so... John will write very clearly about antichrists, which is going to have to do with these false teachers, and them saying Jesus did not come in the flesh. And so if you kind of understand that, at least a little bit about that, that helps some of these statements in 1 John make sense if you know the false teaching that yeah. he's going against. Yeah, that's very helpful. Uh, and so with Stephen saying that, it really is an appropriate beginning for 1 John. Uh, just look at the first couple of verses here. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands Mm -hmm. concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you so that our joy may be made complete. Man, uh, first off, a lot to unpack. Sounds a lot kind of like John 1, verse 1. Yeah, that's right. Uh, John really likes to do that. The was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Exactly. So he kind of brings back those ideas of the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God's Word to us. But more than that, John saw, touched, heard, felt Jesus. There was no nuanced idea to who Jesus Jesus was he to John. He had a body. Exactly. And there wasn't a you know, some kind of nebulous, oh well, he's all he might be spiritual, you know. No, this is who Jesus is. These are the things that he said and these are the things that he wants you to do. And to a group of people who are very weak in their faith because of this false teaching, this, I think, would be a comforting thing to hear from an apostle of Jesus Christ who heard, saw, touched, felt Jesus. So this, I think, is a very in-the-face-of-Gnosticism opening to his letter. Mm-hmm, that's right. And we'll see it kind of sprinkled throughout. And actually, you can do a whole study on the New Testament just looking for the sections that talk about Gnosticism. First Timothy 6 at the very end is very clear. Watch out for what's falsely called knowledge. Um, but as we work through 1 John, I, I love this opening section of John where he talks about walking in the light. And this is so helpful, especially for new Christians who are trying to figure out life in Christ, but like I still sin sometimes. And I go to this passage frequently with not just new believers, but other believers and for my, with myself, because it talks about the balance of, you, know, you cannot say you have fellowship with God if you are living in sin. But as you are repenting of sin and walking in the light, God is forgiving you. That's an ongoing process. And you've got to, it's a little bit like walking on the curb, you know. 
You're going to take a step off the curb every once in a while, but get back up and keep going, and that's walking in the light. It's not that you never take a step in darkness. But don't you get down in the gutter and walk in darkness and say that you're walking in the light, which, again, is what the Gnostics were saying you could do because, oh, well, my flesh is walking in darkness, but not me, not my spirit. Um, No, 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 that's not right. And so the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, down kind of through verse 6, is this idea of walking in the light and having an advocate with the Father, having a comforter. This is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John when he calls him our comforter or our helper. Jesus is described that way here. And he's the one who helps us Mm -hmm. because we do still stumble. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. And so there's this careful balance that John is writing about Again, perhaps to new Christians, it says, hey, I realize that you're still stumbling. This is all part of walking in the light. And here's how you repent. Here's how you confess. Here's how you get back up and keep going. And so I really love this opening section, especially for younger Christians, um, as we learn how to walk that walk that fine line. And no sooner than he helps us think about our relationship with God and the assurance that we have because Jesus is that advocate that Stephen was talking about. He turns our attention to what our relationship then looks with other people. And John is really big on that. I mean, he was the one that recorded that final conversation that Jesus has with his disciples where Jesus is is very clear um, in John 13. Uh, this kind of will give some clarity for uh, what might be a couple confusing verses in 1 John. But in John 13, um, verse 34 Jesus will say, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Uh, Verse 35 says, uh, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so John, he goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard, have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Um, I believe he's kind of making a reference back to this very thing that Jesus said in John 13 that we just referenced. And that is one of the oldest commandments that there was is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. But that's an old commandment. The new commandment that Jesus gives is that you love one another as I have loved you. Love has not been demonstrated in the way that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world and that Mm -hmm. God was willing to let his son die for the sins of the entire world. That is a whole new form of demonstrating and showing love. And so John will use that as a launching point into this next section to discuss how we love our brethren and how that directly ties to how we love God and how we can be in the darkness if we don't love our brethren the way that we should. Yeah, that's right. And so he talks a lot about loving one another in chapter 2, but there's also this warning in the middle of chapter 2 about a a false love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And he specifies in verse 16 the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. And he says in verse 17, this is all passing away. And so John writes a lot about love, and in particular that there's a a true love of God and of God's children, 
our brethren. And then there's this false love that Satan is trying to cultivate in us love, but not a love for God. It's a love for the world and the things in the world instead of a love for God and the children of God. And so you're going to see John, he'll often do that. Well, kind of contrast like, well, here's the true one and here's the false one. And so chapter two has a thoughtful section on that. What's also interesting here is um, you often hear people talk about the Antichrist. And that's something that comes up, maybe especially in world events. Yeah, and, uh, it's kind of a spooky word for about people. things. Yeah. So it's, what's interesting is the word Antichrist only comes up in 1 John and in 2 John. That's it. In the whole New Testament. The only time Antichrist is mentioned is here. And 1 John 2 tells us what's going on with that. Um, it says in verse 18, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. So one of the things we can see very clearly is that, uh, as John writes about this idea of someone who is Antichrist, is something that was already going on when John was writing in the first century. This was not some mysterious way off future event for today. It was something that was already there, already happening. And Antichrist just is literally the idea of an opponent or adversary of the Christ or right. the Messiah. The that, anointed, right. Yeah, exactly. That's all that this is. And so I think we do try to get it in our head. Well, well like who's like the one specific idea or the one specific guy that's in mind here? When he says very clearly in verse 18, even now many antichrists have appeared. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of them. It's yeah. not just one mysterious dude. It's anyone who teaches this thing. And he mentions in verse 19, they used to be Christians, but they've gone out from us, these antichrists. But then um, in verse 22, look at this. He says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And so he makes a point here, like this is the false teaching. People who teach that Jesus is not the Christ who came in the flesh and died for our sins. That's anti-Christ. That's anti-Messiah. And anyone who believes that is part of these anti-Christ people. And so it's not one mysterious person, but it's a false teaching that people can believe in. And so we'll see it come up uh, one more time in chapter 4 where he says... Uh, in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Mm. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. I forgot that was in chapter 4. That's right. Yeah, and by the way, if you back up a verse, it clarifies here. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And this is where it kind of ties in with the Gnostic idea that Jesus didn't come in the flesh um, so that that's interesting. And then the one other time Antichrist comes up is Second uh, John verse seven, and this is the same thing. Watch this, uh, verse Second John seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Which makes sense. They're opposing Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And so if you just go read John's letters, it demystifies that term Antichrist a lot. 
And again, I realize there's a lot of theories out there that tie in the Antichrist with things in Revelation and the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. But I think we should just let the context show us, like, hey, this is a false teaching. Don't believe this stuff. Don't go in because if you believe that, this teaching is anti-Christ. It's not who God sent. And so don't let him tell you that he didn't come in the flesh. Don't let him tell you that he's not really the Christ. And so this is a really important uh, thing to take away from 1 John because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this idea of antichrist. Exactly. So moving from just kind of this section on antichrist, you see this general discussion about what it means to be children of God. In verse 28, he'll say, Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And so if if we're all collectively practicing righteousness and we're all of the one that makes us righteous, that makes us all siblings, that makes us all children of God. And so that necessarily binds us together. And so in verse 2 of chapter 3, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what will be. Uh, We know that when he appears... We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. I love that text. Yeah, beautiful. And so we need to be striving for that purity, um, the same kind of purity that Jesus had. And we can have it and attain it as well. And so, again, he's coming back to things that we can know and things that we can do, things that we can put our hands on and things that we can put our hope in. That's right. And this gives way to discussion that children of God don't walk in sin. You stumble sometimes, but you don't keep on sinning without repenting. And so, again, that would fly in the face of the idea of, oh, I can serve God with my mind or my spirit while I'm sinning in my body. No, if you're a child of God, you do not make a practice of sinning. Uh, That's not an ongoing thing in the life of the Christian. And that gives way to another test of who the children of God are. They are people who love one another. And it's so powerful to think about, again, like you talk about, tangible things uh, in verse uh, 16 First uh, John three sixteen, which is kind of an interesting connection to John it, three sixteen. it's great funny how that turned out I, I love that uh, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. And skipping down, uh, it's powerful to think about this, um, that we have to live the love and not just talk the love. And so there's another warning in chapter 4 where he will talk about testing the spirits. And this seems to be the idea of testing different teachings. He talks about false prophets going out. exactly, in verse 1, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And we just talked about this is the other reference to the Antichrist in 1 John. And I love what he says in verse 4 about this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yeah. And that's another theme we I, I forgot to mention at the very beginning. It's just this idea of overcoming um, that is huge, not only in the epistles of John, but also in Revelation as well, being overcomers, if you will. Mm-hmm, that's right. And so sometimes it feels totally overwhelming when we have to deal with false teaching because we look around at the world and we're like, there's just so much false teaching. 
But he says, don't be discouraged. The one who's in you is greater than the one who's teaching all this false stuff in the world. Don't lose heart. And of course, he'll say in chapter five in a little bit, um, this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith, right? Um, So it's encouraging to see how he encourages the Christians. There is one verse in here, too, that I love. Verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Sometimes false teaching can be, I think, nuanced in our minds. We're like, oh, like is this false? Is it not? And we got to struggle with that and deal with that. But then there are some things, this is false and this is right. You know, this, And that's what John is saying here is, hey, guys, we're from God. They are not. Listen to us. Ignore them. And there's something simple about that that I appreciate. And there are some levels of false teaching that I hope we can spot immediately and be willing to cast out in the same way John does here. So mm-hmm. I, I love that verse. Yes. So, again, John circles back around to the theme of God <laughs> yeah. being love. Yeah. Uh, famous verses here, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God mm-hmm. because God is love. And uh, down in verse 19, we love because he first mm-hmm. loved us. And again, these are these are tests for the Christian. Yes. In verse 20, if anyone says, yes. I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John is so zeroed in on the connection between loving God because God is love but that means you love your brother yes you cannot have one and without the other it does not work and that's it's much harder to love a brother than it is to love God who is love and John connects those two so strongly and it's an encouragement against hypocrisy is really what it is. That's it's right. saying we love God without loving each other. Yes, and that leads John directly into chapter 5, not only discussing loving God and loving his people, but if we love God, we will keep his commandments. Um, mm-hmm. In verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I mean, Jesus said the same thing in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I love that John mentions that, Jesus' commandments are not burdensome. They're good for us. And the more you walk with Christ, the more you realize that. I think in your first walk, your first year or two, when you're walking with Jesus, is you obey him, you see his words, and you're doing it because you know he said it. But as the years go on, you really start to realize why he said that. And you're like, wow, I have a greater appreciation for this commandment. It is good for me. It's not burdensome. It It is taking care of me. It's giving me the care and provision that I need when I obey. And so with that in verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And I just can't help but think faith is the victory, you know, that that great old hymn. Um, But that's what overcomes the world is the faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, in verse 5, who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. And so there is a, a solidity, uh, if that's the right word, <laughs> something that solidifies Jesus as the Christ, the Spirit. And so we can have uh, assurance and our hope in Jesus as well because of that. 
Yeah, and I suspect that this is one more jab at the Gnostic teaching when he says, Jesus didn't just come by the water, it's probably a reference to his baptism, but by the blood, which is very likely a reference to his death, you can't kill a disembodied spirit. <laughs> if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he didn't come by the blood. And so I think that's, again, one more jab at he came in human flesh because he bled, he died. And so John is, is wrapping up his letter by saying, hey, listen, Jesus didn't just come and was baptized. He came yeah. and died. This is all uh, tied in with his uh, teaching against uh, Gnosticism, against this false teaching. Yeah. And so he, he, I love it when writers give us their mission statement. <laughs> uh, in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And, and what's funny about John's gospel, if I'm not mistaken, he, he's done that a couple times. Uh, I know he did it back uh, in verse, um, yeah, back in verse 7 of chapter 2. Beloved, I'm not writing a, or sorry, uh, I'm off. Chapter 1, verse 4 has one. I, we are writing these things Thank so that you. our joy may be complete. 2.26, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Man, I'm still off. But, uh, Oh, here it is. Chapter 221. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. So he kind of goes in and out on why he's writing and like, I'm writing you because of this thing right here. So yes, um, he wrote that the phrasing so many times it was hard to get my eyes on it. So he here at the end says, I want you Christians to know and have confidence that you have eternal life. Yeah. Even though there's this false teaching in the world, even though there are times where you stumble, you need to know that you're on the right track, that you are in Christ, in his blood, in his grace. Um, and so he, he wraps up by talking about this. And he talks about forgiveness at the end. Um, and that even though the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, we are of God. Yeah. And God is the one who sustains us and is stronger than the one who's in the world. And so this letter of 1 John becomes a great foundation of confidence for the Christian. That we can know, and again, not the Gnosticism kind of know, but truly know that we are children of God, destined for eternal life with him. Yes, and it just reminds me that kind of thesis statement here at the end it's exactly what he did in his gospel as well. Uh, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Mm-hmm. And he's doing the same thing in his letter. And so beautiful little letter uh, ends with an admonition to them, to little children, guard yourselves from idols. Uh, likely a lot of these brethren might have been pagan in their background, and so just a reminder to stay away from those things. But that kind of leads us into these last two letters, yep. which are significantly smaller. In <laughs> that's right. Sometimes these are called the postcard letters because oh, they funny. just about fit on yeah. a postcard if you write them out. So Second John, as we mentioned in our introduction, is a little different in that it's written from, John calls himself the elder, and he writes to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Uh, one of the big themes we're going to see in Second John is truth and love. And... Um, those are really important to connect because truth is what's right and objective and real, but it's, it's unyielding. It's unmoving. The truth doesn't change because we change. Love is something that is soft and warm and we love one another. 
And these two things sometimes seem opposed to each other. Like if I love someone, I have to compromise the truth or I tell them the truth and I don't love them. But no, they are totally compatible. And John talks about how important it is to have both of these things. And also walk in the commandments of God. Um, one of the interesting things we're going to see in Second John and Third John is a little bit of the theme of hospitality. And he says to um, watch out for these false teachers and don't accept them. Don't support them by being hospitable to them if they are not teaching the truth. You don't want to take part in their wicked works. And uh, in 3 John, he'll make the contrast and say it's a good thing when you support people who are teaching the truth mm -hmm. and are hospitable to them. He'll say that in 3 John uh, verses 5 through 8. And so it's interesting to think about 1 John has encouraged people to not, you know, when you see your brother in need, like take care of them. But 2 and 3 John add a bit of a nuance to that idea that you want to make sure that they're walking in the light and helping them because uh, you don't want to end up supporting false teaching and participating in it. But again, there, there's some famous statements about love in these l short letters mm -hmm. uh, talking about uh, walking uh, and the, the new commandment. Like you said, th the Second John 5, uh, it's not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but one we had from the beginning that we love one another. Yeah. And this is love that we walk according to his Commandments. That's right. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Yeah. I love verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And if some anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. We don't even need to flirt with false teaching and false teachers. If we know it's false, if we know it's wrong, if we know it's harmful to the truth, you stay away from it. And I, I think John is being very literal with them. You don't have them into your house. You don't have anything to do with them. This is very dangerous stuff. And we've already talked about what Gnosticism was doing to the brethren. It was even encouraging them to sin. And so I believe John's warning is understood. Stay away from these teachers and get far away from them. And uh, I, I just personally like those few verses there. Mm-hmm. And so 3 John is kind of a parallel letter to 2 John. It's, again, written to an individual, to Gaius. And he says, who I love in truth. Again, there's love and truth together all throughout here. And he prays for him at the beginning that things can go well for him. And he commends him for his hospitality and supporting these brothers that are strangers to him. Yeah. And they don't have to accept any kind of support from the Gentiles because they're being taken care of by the Christians. But then uh, kind of a famous feature of 3 John is this false teacher. Yeah, it's a bit of whiplash if you ask me. <laughs> because, yes. yeah, because, you know, Gaius here, he's like, oh man, you're so great. Like, you know, the, the church is with you and, you know, doing such a good work. And then there's like this shift in verse 9 where Diotrephes comes up like Stephen is talking about. And uh, John says that this guy, he loves to be first among them in verse 9, doesn't accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. And so not only is this guy doing what's wrong and false and is arrogant, he's actually kicking people out. 
And I don't know exactly what that would have looked like. It kind of sounds like, like, you know, oh, you can't come here and worship, you know, kind of kicking them out of the assembly, you know, that, that kind of thing. But man, how discouraging would this have been for this church? But John writes kind of just so matter-of-factly about it on how this is how you're going to deal with him in verse 11. Uh, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. And so, you know, stick to the things that are good, Gaius. You know, this discouraging thing is happening, but you still need to stick to what is good. Um, stay away from these evil things. Right. And there's another D name in here. Demetrius uh, comes up as a good example. Yes. So don't follow the, don't imitate the bad example of Diotrephes. Do imitate the good example of Demetrius in verse 12. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. And I love that second and third John both end with uh, the, the reason they're postcard letters. He's like, I have a lot more to say, but I'd rather not do it with pen and ink. Uh, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. That's how I am with text messages. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Let's hey, just talk about it. Yeah, look, hey, I'll tell you what I need to right now, but I'd much rather talk about this face to face. That's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And so there's this love, this warmth that comes from John. He wants to see these brethren. He loves them in truth. And uh, when you put these three letters together, it's really cool to see how the themes all just fit so well together. And um, it's a blessing that we have these letters from the Apostle John, see his transformation and then he, how he is trying to transform these Christians that he's writing to. Yep. Amen. Lord willing, if you'll say a prayer for us, we are going to jump into <laughs> Revelation next week. And I say that in joking, not because we don't like that book. We love that book, but because there's just so much to cover. And so we're going to do our best to succinctly summarize the book of Revelation as best as we can, Lord willing, in the next podcast. So we hope to uh, see you. We can't see you, but we hope you'll be listening then. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast today. If you're enjoying what you hear, please leave us a rating or review, a subscribe. Uh, that will help us reach more people. Um, if you'd like to study the Bible with us, if you have questions about what you're hearing uh, or have a book you'd like to study, reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on local Bible studies and worship, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>